you look around today and you watch uh, the culture, you watch TV, you, you, you look around, uh, we're living in a very odd age, a strange age, really a turning age in the, in the history of our nation. And you watch in, in America today, uh, different than just 1970, different than 1950, different for sure than when our country was founded. But today in our culture, in our, in our nation, uh, Christians today are now viewed as ignorant. And no one really will come out and say, well, y'all are ignorant. But really they think it is ignorant to base your belief set upon the truth of God's word. Christians today are viewed as intolerant. Our whole system is based upon tolerating all things and, and everybody can be right. Well, Christians, uh, if this is God's truth and this is a very narrow window, then that's intolerant. Uh, Christians today are viewed as illogical. Uh, Christians are viewed as judgmental and, and, and the whole deal about you're not to judge me and who am I to judge and who are you to judge and, and Christians that would hold to a biblical standard are called judgmental. Maybe more than anything, it's, it's put on Christians that they are out of touch. Uh, you're from some, from some generation in the past and you're not scientifically correct and you're not culturally correct and so you are out of touch as a follower of Jesus Christ. You look today in our culture... Our world that we're living in is pushing back against biblical Christianity, I believe, as never before. And I mean, I mean pushing back against biblical Christianity, whether it's at the university or whether it's in the business world or if it's in the government or for sure it's in the press and the media today. Uh, there is a disdain. There is a absolute hatred for biblical Christianity. And it is a growing disdain. I look around today, and maybe you do as well, but you look around, and the world is accepting of almost any voice today. Somebody can get a platform, and with social media, anybody can say anything, and the world will listen to any voice today. The world is willing to accept what Oprah Winfrey says. The world's willing to listen to what Dr. Phil says. The world listens to what the experts say, but at the same time, they have no use for thus saith the Lord. This is what God has said. Well, I want to tell you, it is going to get worse. Uh, it is getting worse uh, at a very rapid pace today. And, and that's, I think, going to be the new culture that we exist in as followers of Jesus Christ. And let me just give you a couple examples. And these are just a few examples. Uh, the Bible says the foundation of the home is marriage. And that's what the Bible says. We've been preaching on that on, on Sundays. Uh, the foundation of the home is marriage. The world has said the opposite. The world says it is not necessary. In fact, uh, it limits us as humans. In fact, it is absolutely obsolete. Uh, today, the truth is 52% of kids born today in America will be born to parents who are not married to each other. Uh, the Bible says that marriage today is between one woman and one man. And that's been God's definition. And that's by his design. Marriage is between one woman and one man. And then Jesus in the New Testament says the same thing. It's between one woman and one man. I saw a couple of weeks ago that 77% of the millennial generation, 77% says that marriage can be between any two people. And I think maybe that two people will not last long. 77% of the millennial generation. What do you think our culture looks like in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years as they've all had kids? 
And if somebody will come along and say, you know what, marriage is the foundation of the home. If they'll say, you know what, marriage is between one woman and one man, that person is going to be absolutely ridiculed and rejected by the world that we live in. Those are just a couple of examples. The person who says God's plan still stands and God's plan is still best and the best way to structure our lives is according to what God has said in his word, that person will be hated. That person is going to be rejected. That person is going to be belittled. And so the question then becomes for us. Here we are and it's a men's lunch and we're saying, you know what, I want to live what God has said in his word and I want to put that into practice in, in my home and I want to teach that to, to my kids going forward. The question then is this. So how do we operate in that? How do we operate in that? What is our response to that? And I'm going to be very honest with you right here. My first response, my natural instinct is most of the time not the correct response. And, and my thought on that is this. Somebody pushes me, I'm going to push them back. Somebody wants to talk to me, I'm going to talk back. Somebody wants to confront me, I'm going to confront back. And if, if you want to start something, then you know what? I'm built to settle something. And that's my natural response. And so I come and say, well, I'm going to live according to God's word and his truth. And you come and you ridicule that. My, my instant response is to fire back, to, to, to speak back into that. But you know what? That's not what God has laid out for us in his plan. We've been going through 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter written to people in a very similar situation. They've taken a stand for Jesus Christ. They're being persecuted for their stand. They've been pushed out of their country. They're in foreign lands. They're strangers in a strange land because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're wondering, you know what? This wasn't what we thought it was going to be. How do we exist in this? How do we operate in this? And so we've been going verse by verse. And Peter in this letter has been telling Christian people, here's how you operate in a world that despises you. Here's how you operate in the face of of persecution. Last week we made it all the way to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 and we really just looked at the first half of, of verse 15. Today we're going to look at verse 15 again and then we're going to look at verse 16. And we're going to see what our response is to be in a world that hates us. I'm going to read verse 15. We'll start there. It says this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I'm going to read that again. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Verse 15 starts off, and we looked at it in detail last week, and it says the first thing we have to do is we have to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. That means we have to set Christ, set him apart as Lord in our hearts. If you're going to operate in the midst of a world that hates you, your first thing to do is to, to set Christ, to, to give him an uncompromising place, to have an uncompromising resolve that Jesus is Lord in my heart. Now, what that means is this. There cannot be a divided lordship if you're going to exist, number one, as a Christian, but number two, especially in the face of persecution. Jesus has to be Lord, and that has 
to be settled. A whole bunch of us go, all, go astray right here. And we, we think, you know what, Jesus is Lord. But also, you know what, I, I want to participate in the things of the world. So some other things are, are Lord as well. Or you know what, Jesus is Lord, but also myself. I'm, I'm still partially Lord and I want to do what I want to do. And I want my desires to be fulfilled. No, we have to be resolved that Jesus Christ, he alone is our hope. He alone is our peace. Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross of Calvary. He has risen from the grave. He is my savior. And so in my heart, I'm resolved, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what we saw last week. Then moving on, what is our response to be? We've got a heart and we're resolved. Jesus is Lord of my life and he's Lord of my heart. Moving on, what do we do then? The Bible says this. Always being ready means continually, without ceasing, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Jesus is set aside. He's the Lord. I've resolved that. I'm committed to that in my heart. There's no other Lord in my life. Jesus is the Lord. Then I have to continually be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks me to give an account for the hope that is within me. Now understand here, that hope that is in us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope that is in us is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we have to always be ready to make a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to continually be ready to make a defense of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to get the picture here. There's a picture that's unfolding. See this picture. First is this. For others to ask about the hope that is in you, they have to see the hope that is in you. Do you see that? When you read the verse, it says, be prepared to make a defense when they ask you about the hope that is in you. For others to come and to ask you, tell me about the hope, tell me why you're different, to ask about the hope that is within you, they have to see the hope that is within you. You know what that means? When they see that you're hated and yet you respond in a biblical manner, when they see that, that your life doesn't match the culture that you're living in, but you're trying to live according to the standard that God has set, when they see you live out the response that he's told us in a world that hates us, when they see that in the context, when they see that you're persecuted and yet you still persevere, they see the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How many of us live in a way that people see the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, that's a pretty big deal in, in 2017. You see, since we were very small, we were taught that the thing to do is to fit in. You know what the best thing to do is to dress like your classmates and, what, and this fidget deal. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants to fit in. And, 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 your, and your job is to compromise and your job is not to, to stand out. Your job is to fit in to the culture. And that's what, that's what we've been trained since we we're small. But Peter says, and he says it throughout the letter, no, our job is to stand up. Our job is to stand out. And when they see you stand out, when they see your response, they ought to see the hope that is in you, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me, let me go ahead and say this here because sometimes we stop right there. Well, I want people to see the good news of Jesus Christ in my life. I want people to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I want them to see my life, I want them to see the hope that we have. I want to tell you, 
that's not where it ends. You see, when they see the hope, that then what the Bible says is the opening to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure and connect all that in verse 15. When they see the hope, when they see your response is different, when they see you persecuted, but yet you still persevere, then they're going to ask you about the hope, and that is your opportunity to tell them the hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a lie. And it's a lie that maybe has been brewing at least the last 30 years, but the lie is this, and you've, you've heard it. If you will live a good life, people will be so impressed with your good life that they're going to want to have a good life as well. And so we've said, you know what, you, you need to go out and you need to live the gospel. You need to go out and you need to live this good life and people are going to see you and the goal of your life is to live in such a way that they're going to, they're going to all of a sudden say, well, look at how they live. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. People say, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, people say, you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. I'm going to tell you, that's a lie. If you're looking at me to see God's word, I'm going to tell you, you're going to fall short because I do not live up to that standard. I try. Some people come and they make these posters and they make these deals they sell that say, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I want to tell you, that's a lie. You can't preach the gospel and not use words. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the good news that is proclaimed out of mouths that changes lives. It is the proclamation of Christ and him crucified that changes eternities. When they see our lives and they wonder about the hope, then we proclaim with our mouths the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says in the book of Romans, and how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And that word for preacher is not a, a, a preacher in a church. It's talking about a proclaimer. How are they going to believe in the one they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear if somebody doesn't proclaim it? Peter says here, when they see the hope, and yes, they should see the hope, then that is the time that we as Christians pounce and we proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's a question for all of us here. Could you tell somebody how to be saved? Plain as that. Somebody came and said, you know what, my, my life seems empty and I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'd like, to, I'd like to know what it means to be saved. Can you tell me what it means to be saved? Can you tell somebody why the word of God is true? Can you tell them why it is trustworthy, why it's complete, why it is sufficient in our lives? Could you tell somebody that? You know, the Bible is what points us to salvation in Jesus Christ. It's what Paul tells Timothy. Could you tell somebody what it is to be saved? Could you tell somebody why this is different than Islam? Well, they say their holy book, the Quran, that's the word of God, and it's true. Why is their word not, why is their word not true and ours is? Could you answer those questions? Listen to me. We have to be prepared to make a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Peter is telling us here. We have to be ready. Great thing that would happen here today is, is we would sit here and say, you know what, I need to get this straight. 
I need, we need to come and we need to be mobilized as Christians in a world that hates us not to just stand for something that we can't defend, but we need to be prepared to go out and say, this is what it means to be saved. I am a sinner and in my sin I've earned a punishment and Jesus came and he lived a sinless life and he died in my stead and he's paid my penalty and God's wrath was poured out on him and he was dead in a grave and he comes out on Easter Sunday morning and he is risen from the grave and he is reigning as king and he is our hope, the Christ. We have to be prepared to make a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I said, and I, I know y'all, and you know me, so if, if I said today that outside this, these doors and in this parking lot, there was a raging army of lost people, and they are opposed to Jesus Christ. In fact, they spit on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And outside in this parking lot, there's a bunch of radical Islamists, a bunch of radical Muslims out there, and they're ready to come, and they're ready to, to, to persecute you. They'd like to drag your kids away and, and cut their head off on a YouTube video, and they're outside. And outside, there's a bunch of people, and they're in Satan's army, and they've called for the destruction of this church, and they're here for the destruction of followers of Jesus Christ. And if I told you, you know what, men, we finished this lunch, we're going to roll out of here, and we're going to take up arms, and we're going to go on this parking lot, and we're going to defeat this enemy and we may need a weapon and we may not need a weapon but we're going to go out and we're going to fight these haters of Jesus Christ. I think most of us here would say let's go. Pick up a chair. Let's go. Let's get out there. The battle's no different. The enemies of the gospel are no different but the battle plan is we have to come with the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the answer. That is the hope. That is where there is peace. We have to be coming as Christians. We have to come in the motivation to know the, the truth of the gospel. And that's how we defeat an army that would stand against the Savior we have in Jesus Christ. We have to be prepared. I think this is where we've fallen short. We have to be prepared to tell people about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The opportunities are coming. Look at verse 16 very quickly. It says this, And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you were slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. We've sanctified Jesus as Lord in our heart. That's set. That's determined. We're prepared to make a defense. We're prepared to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can tell you why Islam and Mormonism, those things are agents of Satan. I can tell you the hope we have in Jesus Christ. I can defend that. But I also have to come and I have to keep a good conscience so that in the thing that I am slandered, those that revile my good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Now, let me show you a couple of words. The word slander means spoken evil of. It means to verbally tear down. The word reviled means to mistreat or to insult motivated by hatred. The Bible says this. Those things are going to happen to biblical followers of Jesus Christ. Those things are going to happen. And it says the response to that is not to strike back. The, the response to that is to present the gospel, but at the same time, keep a good conscience. The word conscience, if you look it up, the Greek word, and you, you take the meaning out of it, it means this, what you know of yourself. Keep a good conscience, what you know of yourself. Now, what that means is this. 
You have lived according to God's standard. You have lived according to God's word. And no matter what is said about you, no matter the attacks that are made against you, you can stand there and say, you know what? God knows my heart and God knows my actions. God knows my words. He even knows my thoughts. And I am prepared to meet him and to see him. And I have a good conscience. I know who I am in my Savior, Jesus Christ. And then those who rail against me, those who revile me, those who slander me, the Bible says, will be put to shame. The, the word actually means disgraced. And what that means is this, and Peter's laying it all out. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of persecution, we're to set Jesus Christ as Lord in our heart. We are to never quit proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the opportunity increases as the persecution increases. We are to never quit proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, our actions and our responses are to be God honoring. And then those who rail against you, the Bible says, will be disgraced and they can't stand. That is our life as followers of Jesus Christ. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Set him aside. Give him that place. Never quit telling people the good news of Jesus Christ and live according to the standard of God's word that you can have a good conscience before a holy God. And those that would oppose you will be disgraced in your witness and in your words. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We, we're thankful for you, the truth of your word. And we, we start to see it, we start to feel it. The world cannot stand the truth. The world cannot stand the gospel because it is true and it is truth and it is the power of God unto salvation. Satan can't stand it. And so this culture and this world rail against it and push back against it. And we exist in that world. And so I pray for us as men in this room, number one, that we would sanctify you, that we would set you aside as Lord in our hearts. And we would not be divided in our loyalty. And when we get up in the morning and when we go to bed at night, Lord, help us to seat you and to place you and to follow you as Lord in our hearts. But I pray that we would also finish and we would be prepared to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we would defend it with the word of truth, your word. And whether we're in a small group or a big group or whether we're at work or whether we're in a car, whether we're in our houses, we would be prepared at any time to give a defense of the good news, the hope that's within us. And then I pray for men here that because we put our faith in Christ, because we're new creations in Jesus Christ, because we're filled with the spirit of the living God, because we're directed by your word, the truth, that we would live according to that standard. And we could stand in the midst of persecution with a good conscience because we're right with you. We tell you today, we're thankful for your direction. We're thankful for your truth. Forgive us where we've been off track. Help us to repent and help us to turn. Help us to leave here prepare to lead folks to Jesus Christ. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.